Jesus said, do not judge. This is bound to be one of the most often quoted and favorite Bible verses of our time. It goes something like this. Listen, I can live my life the way I want to live it. After all, Jesus said, don't judge, lest ye be judged. And so we have this sense in which you really can't say anything's wrong. Is that right? So suppose a, a man is selling drugs and working the area near your children's school. Is it okay to call the police on him? Or is doing so making some sort of an inappropriate judgment call? After all, Jesus said, do not judge. Or what about the, the young 20-something couple that are close and, and you say to them, as believers, they say, hey, we, we want to honor God, and, and we say, well, the Bible says that you should reserve intimacy for biblical marriage. Is that judgmental? Or the married man who says, listen, it's none of your business that I'm committing adultery. It's, that's, this is my business. It's none of your business. So to say, no, sir, you shouldn't commit adultery, is that judgmental? I mean, when Jesus said, do not judge, was he meaning to suggest that really morals are, are relative? Did he mean to, to say that, that we really couldn't make judgment calls about anything? Or is something else going on here? Well, this morning, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus has been teaching, and he is wildly popular at this point in his ministry. Crowds are everywhere, and he's on this little hill, and he's teaching and people are gathered around, but he, he gathers disciples together particularly and says, listen, this is what it means to be a true disciple of mine. And he begins to teach him. And we've talked about that as we've, as we've worked through the Sermon on the Mount. And this is still a part of that teaching. Let's pick up in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck? That is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. In this text, Jesus teaches that we should be loving and wise in our judgments. That we should be loving and wise in our judgments. Our text gives three directives for loving and wise judgments. First, don't look at others with a critical spirit. Don't look at others with, with a critical spirit. In verse 1, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, does he mean that there's no way that we can say that something's wrong. Is that what Jesus is saying? It can't mean that. Well, why can't it mean that? that? That's the way that it's quoted all of the time in our culture. Well, it can't mean that because if you read the passage in context, it's clear it doesn't mean that. Look in verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus is suggesting that you should discriminate in some situations, that you should make decisions in some situations about what is good and what's not good. If you go down and continue reading in verse 15, Jesus warns about false teachers. And you've got to be able to discriminate and decide this is a false teacher or this is not a teacher. That requires judgment. 
So Jesus is clearly not teaching that we can never make any kind of a judgment call. That, that's obviously not his intent. He goes on to say in verse 2, with the judgment that you use, or the standard, or the measure, and here this is a picture of like a, a, a scoop that would be used to measure grain. With the scoop that you're using to measure other people, in fact, you're going to be measured by it. So, so what's the passage saying here? He's saying that if you judge others, and we'll talk more about what he means by that. He says if you judge others, then you're going to find yourself the recipient of that kind of judgment. In other words, if you put yourself in the place of God, you're going to answer Okay, you're going to answer for that. You're, you're going to face that and own that if you decide that, that you've got the ability to, to make judgments about other people. So we've said thus far that Jesus isn't saying that we can't make statements about what's right and wrong. But he's also saying that we don't put ourselves in the place of God and judging others. So let's think more about that together. In Matthew 23, and This is one of many places Jesus issues a stinging rebuke of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are are playing games. They're they're religious hypocrites. And Jesus calls them out for it. And he does so in a way that is very clear. It's not sort of sweet and tender and, well, no, Jesus makes it clear. The way that you're going is sinful. Now, how does that square with do not judge? Okay, let's continue thinking about this together. In John 7, 24, when a crowd had misjudged Jesus' healing ministry, Jesus didn't say, you can't judge at all. He said, when you judge, judge rightly. Judge rightly. In Galatians 1, 8, Paul says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Does that sound like someone not making a judgment call? No, the Apostle Paul is saying if somebody comes to you and he begins to preach to you a gospel that's different than the one we've taught you, let him be accursed. Now, that's judgment kind of speak. So what we see here is that when we read Scripture, you can't take a single verse and rip it out of its context and put it up and build your theology around a single verse. So we're learning something about how to read Scripture as we think about this passage. When I read this verse, I read the verses surround it. And I ask, what do the verses surrounding this verse teach me about the meaning of this verse? Or, not only that, what does all of Scripture teach me as I think about this verse? Because Scripture should be interpreted in light of other Scripture. So we, we recognize Scripture ought to be... Uh, placed in its own context and set it in context and in the context of the whole of Scripture. And then, as we think about a verse, we can get its meaning better. So here, this is one of those verses in our day and time that's consistently ripped out of the Bible and made to stand alone. It's made to stand all by itself constantly. Now, when someone says to you, you can't make a moral judgment because Jesus said, do not judge, This person has just broken their own principle. Think about it. You cannot make a moral judgment because Jesus said, do not judge. But they've just broken their own principle. They've just told you what you can and what you cannot do. That's inconsistent. So Jesus is not arguing for moral relativism here. He's not. He's not arguing that we can never make judgments about what's right and what's wrong. What he's talking about here. It's what's happening right here. 
what's happening in the heart. You see, what he, what he is speaking against is a, is a kind of judgmental attitude in which we place ourselves in the place of God above, above other people, assuming we can know their hearts, assuming we can know what's happening in their own heart and life, assuming we can make judgments about whether or not they know the Lord Jesus, those kinds of things. He's saying to us, you can't have that kind of attitude because you're not me. You're not God. Don't place yourself in my shoes. No. Don't have that kind of mean spirit. That kind of sinful and wrong judgment is what Jesus is prohibiting here. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what do we see here in James? It's the same idea. It's this perspective that we don't want to come down on people with a, a crushing condemnation. We don't want to come down on people in such a way that, that we're harsh and mean. It's not asking us to throw out our brains and not make decisions about things. No, Jesus is saying your heart has got to be right. Your heart's got to be right. When we make judgment calls in a condemning, a harsh, and unloving way, we're hurting people. I, I read the story of a lady who in her 40s, Obviously, I don't know the merits of, of what she has to say, if, if she was right or wrong, or probably if guilt lie with both parties. I don't know any of that. But, but she tells the story as a 40-something-year-old that she divorced her parents. And she said all through her years growing up, she could never please her mother. Whatever she did, her mother condemned her for it. Whatever she did, her mother had a critical spirit. And she said her dad never stood in the way. And so she said as a... 40-something-year-old, I decided I was done. I never want to see my mother again. I never want to see my dad again. I am divorcing them. What a, what a heartbreaking story. I don't know what her mother did or didn't do, and I don't know what she herself was responsible for or not. But one thing we can say is this. Wherever you find a person who has a harsh and a critical attitude, you find brokenness surrounding them. You find brokenness surrounding them because a harsh and a critical attitude never helps anyone. It always hurts. It always wounds. It always destroys. Jesus saying to us here as believers, if you want to be my disciples, you can't have that kind of harsh and critical judgmental attitude with other people. You, you can't do that. Not if you want to follow me. Not, not if you want to be my follower. So I ask you today, are your evaluations of others driven by love? Are they driven by love? It isn't unloving to call what the Bible calls sin, sin. That's not unloving. In fact, the opposite is true. If we take what this book says and we say, well, you know what? The culture says that's not sin. These guys must have gotten it wrong. Let's just kind of ignore that. Let's just kind of look over that. And it's so loving to do that. It's so nice to do that and sweet. And everybody in the culture cheers us on. They're so tolerant and sweet and kind. I want you to know it's the most unloving thing in the world that we could do to take what the Bible calls sin and to tell people it's not sin. Because what that can do is it can damn a person to hell for eternity. That's what it can do. Because what does the Bible tell us? What keeps us from heaven? It's our sin. So if I tell a person... Because our culture says this is not sin, even though the book says that it is, but I go along with the culture and I say, no, this isn't sin. 
You're fine. It's good. And yet this word from God calls it sin. What I've said to them is, you have no need to repent. And a person who does not repent will not go to heaven. So if I do not understand my sin, I do not recognize my need for a Savior. It is the worst possible thing that I can do to someone that I can say to them, no. Sin keeps people from knowing God. So what the book calls sin, with the greatest heart of love, we must call sin. And to do any differently is not loving. It is absolutely unloving And it has eternal consequence. So, we must stand with the book. And what the book says, we must say. On the other hand, it's entirely possible to stand with Scripture and to stand with what the book says and to have the wrong kind of heart. We can't do that. It's entirely possible to say, okay, the Bible calls this sin and I'm going to call it sin. But it's entirely possible to do that with an arrogant, with a, a boastful, I'm so much better than all of you kind of an attitude. We can't go there. That's not the way of the followers of Jesus. No, we have to have a broken heart for people. When, when Jesus saw the crowds, we see that he, he was brokenhearted because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how we should respond in the midst of, of seeing the brokenness of sin. Our hearts must be broken. So avoid having a harsh and judgmental attitude toward others. You are being ungodly, even if you're being faithful to what the book says to the letter. But you have that kind of heart. You are being unfaithful. You are not honoring God. So another question this leaves us to think about is this. Are your evaluations and your judgments based on Scripture or on your personal preference. You know, sometimes in a church, the things that, that cause issues aren't a commitment to solid biblical doctrine. That's the thing from a biblical perspective that matters. People get all bent out of shape about the color of the carpet and silly things. You see, the Bible tells us that our evaluations and our decisions ought to be based on the Word, not on personal preference. So you don't like it that so-and-so does this or that such and such does that, if, is it a biblical issue or is it just your preference? Well, if it's your preference, that's just not a reason to make decisions, to, to legislate your rules on, on others. So if you seek to harm, not help, you've got it wrong. If you seek to harm and not help, you've you got it wrong. So we've seen that we shouldn't look down at others with a critical spirit. Next, Jesus says to be loving and wise In our judgments, don't correct others until your own heart is right with the Lord. Don't correct others until your own heart is right with the Lord. Look in verse 3. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? He says, look, you're noticing there's this little speck right there in in your brother's eye, but you don't realize you're walking around with a pole, you know, and, and you're trying to help your brother get the speck out, and all the while you're whacking him in the head. You're, you're harming him because of the sin that's in your own life. So Jesus says, you, you get this right. D- deal with this. Deal with what's going on here. And then, yeah, go and help your brother get, get that speck out of his eye. What I want you to see is that he doesn't say, you don't worry about the speck that's in your brother's eye. He doesn't say that. 
Now, that's what we would think. That's the ethos of the day, right? That's the mood of the day. You leave everyone else alone. Please remember that we're talking about the context here is a family of believers. We're talking about disciples. We don't go and worry about people who don't know Jesus. We're not, we're not going and focusing on the specs that are in their eyes. But as a family of faith, we have a responsibility to help each other. And when, when sin begins to grow in my life, you've got a responsibility to come to me and say, Hey, brother, what's up here? Hey, Jesus doesn't say, leave everyone alone. No, he says, you take care of your own heart, then go and help your brother. Now, if you want to see an example of this in the Old Testament, of a fella who's got a log hanging out of his own eye and starts worrying about a speck in another guy's eye, consider David when Nathan the prophet confronted him over his sin. David was told about this man who was poor and had, had a single lamb and a rich guy who stole the lamb. And David was like, you take him and you do this. And all the while, David didn't realize there was a giant pole sticking out of his own eye that needed to be dealt with before any other thing could be dealt with. And so the Bible's clear. We need to get our own hearts right with the Lord. And then we can be a blessing to others and help them work through the challenges of their own life. Now, we see this fleshed out in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, 1 Corinthians 5. If someone offends you, the Bible says you go directly to them. And if that doesn't work, then, then you bring another believer. And ultimately, it can become uh, an issue for the entire church to, to deal with. Why? Because we do have a responsibility to, to deal with sin within the family of God. Now, I want you to understand something. This is critical, and it's the difference between going to a church and belonging to a church. You can't obey these kinds of ma- commands like you see in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, or 1 Corinthians 5. You can't obey these kinds of commands if you merely go to a church. To obey these kinds of commands, you've actually got to belong to a church. You've got to have vested your life there and said, you know what, I'm putting myself here and I'm going to be a part of this family of believers who walks through the challenges of life together. I'm going to spur others on and I'm going to, I'm going to hope that others will spur me on as well. In fact, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Isn't Paul almost paraphrasing what Jesus is teaching here? If someone's caught in sin and troubled by sin and they've been blinded by their sin, you go and help them. Do so with gentleness. Don't be a jerk when you go to them. Don't go with an attitude like you're high and mighty. And also, by the way, when you go, be careful because you might find yourself tempted as well. You might find this sin that you're correcting in someone else is at work in your own heart too. But please notice that as a family of believers, we have responsibility for each other. Often people will say, well, this idea of of membership in a church, that's just tradition. That's just, you all have developed that. It's man-made. No, it's not. There's no way you can obey these kinds of commands if you just attend. You've got to belong. Look at Matthew 18, 15 through 20 on your own time and and think through that. Hebrews 3.13 says this, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's the deal. Sin has a tendency to trick us. We, we, we kind of give into it a little bit, and the next thing you know, it's like our eyes just don't see it as well. And we can miss our own sin. I, I, can, I can have sin growing in me, thriving in me, and if I'm not careful, 
I may not even realize just all that's going on. I may be minimizing and say, oh, it's no big deal. But some of you are going, brother, you're walking around with a telephone pole. It needs to be dealt with. Well, see, that's exactly what the passage is talking about here. We, we get our own hearts right, and then we help each other. We, we help each other move forward in Christ. Imagine a cardiologist who had just had some sort of an issue, and, and, and he was checked out, and, and the doctors there said to him, listen, you need to have a quadruple bypass, and you need to have it ASAP. And the cardiologist who was having heart issues spoke up and said, no, wait, this afternoon I've got a surgery scheduled. I'm supposed to do an open-heart surgery this afternoon. I can't. We'll deal with this like next week when I kind of get things in order. Now, if you were the patient who was scheduled for that uh, open-heart surgery that afternoon, you would prefer that it be done by a different cardiologist, wouldn't you? Because you wouldn't want your own heart doctor to need heart surgery himself. And it'd be critical because you're going to be scared that he's going to cut you open and he's going to go out. Now, that's exactly what we see happening in the scriptures here. Get your own heart right and then you can help another. But don't get those in reverse. Go before the Lord and get your own heart right and and then help others and and bless others and, and, and... and help people see their, their need for the Lord. Now, it's kind of like this. The fella who is walking around passing out breath mints to everyone, but who hasn't brushed his teeth in two years. There's a problem with that. And that's exactly what Jesus says can't be happening spiritually. So what do we do? How do we get our own hearts right with the Lord? Well, we need to pray. We need to pray the prayer that, that David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, we need to say to God, God, show me my sin and help me to change. Show me the parts of my heart that that are wrong and sinful, the places where I'm blinded to my sin. Help me to see them and change. So we need to pray. Another thing we need to do is we need to actually read the word. We need to read the word every day because what the word does Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces deep into our hearts, and it shows us our sin. It helps us see that we're not all we thought we were. It helps us understand we're not high and righteous as we have a tendency to think on our own and in our own humanness. And so we need to be in the Word, and we need to get counsel and accountability. This is why, again, it's so important to be a part of a family, to be invested in a family. Because I need people who know me, and you do too. People who can speak into my life and, and say, hey, look at this, and you need that too. So are you more concerned, as you think about this passage, about your own sin, or are you more concerned about the shortcomings in others? Something to think about. More concerned about your own sin or others' shortcomings? I would say as we think about applying this scripture, we ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to bring up an area of concern. If we feel like one is going off the path, we ought to love them enough to bring it up to them in a a careful, gentle, loving way after we've asked the Lord to work in our own heart. So we've seen that you shouldn't try to go and correct someone else until you've gotten things right with the Lord yourself. Next, Jesus says to be loving and wise in your judgments. Don't 
abandon good discernment. Don't abandon good discernment. Look in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What an interesting scripture. What Jesus is doing, he's just said, imagine the pendulum over here. He's just said, look, don't correct fellow believers or have a judgmental attitude, condemning attitude toward fellow believers. No, get things right with your own heart before you try to help them. And now he's swinging the pendulum the other way, and he says, don't throw out discernment altogether. Don't hear me saying that. In fact, when you go to unbelievers, people who don't know the Lord, and you're trying to share the gospel with them, be, care- be careful, be wise in that. So he says, don't give dogs. Now, we think of a dog as, in our culture, a member of the family, right? I mean, a dog is critical to, 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 to uh, our culture. We, we love our dogs. We take them all kinds of places. But here, in this time, dogs were primarily wild, and, and they ran in packs, and they did all kinds of trouble. They were seen from a Jewish perspective as unclean, as wild, as vicious. So he says, be careful about giving dogs what is holy. Well, what does he mean here by holy and by pearls? Well, when you look at the overarching theme of Matthew, the theme is that the kingdom of God is coming soon, and to enter the kingdom you must believe. So, so what is Matthew saying here? He's saying, Don't throw out the gospel to dogs. Don't throw out the gospel to to pigs, the the gospel of of entering the kingdom. Don't just throw the gospel out to pigs because they'll probably just trample them underfoot. And the next thing you know, you're going to have a herd of dogs after you or uh, a pack of pigs coming after you. Now, what does that mean? We're not supposed to preach the gospel? No, he's just suggesting that we ought to be careful because the gospel is the great truth of God's redemption. And we're not going to throw that to someone knowing that, that they're going to persecute and kill. And, and we'll see that that's exactly what happens to some believers. In the book of Acts, we see that with Stephen. And so here, we see the importance of having discernment. It also emphasizes the beauty and the treasure of the gospel. Pearls were considered of greatest value, even greater value than diamonds during this time period. And so the gospel is likened to something that's so precious and, and valuable and worthy of honor and respect. You know, in in our day and time, there's really a folly regarding non-discrimination. The thing that you say to to make sure everyone is quiet is, well, that's discriminating. Well, you're, you're discriminating. Well, some discrimination is absolutely evil. When someone discriminates because of race or ethnicity, that's evil. Why? Because all people are made in the image of God. All equally, uh, Uh, endowed with with human dignity before God. So it's evil to discriminate on the basis of of race or ethnicity. And certainly, paying a woman with similar experience, education, performance, less than a man, that's that's not right. If all things are equal, should it be paid the same as a man for the same job? So those kinds of discriminations are, are wrong. But make no mistake, everyone discriminates. We must, we we have to. Let's suppose you've got young children. Do you discriminate in who you allow to keep them? Maybe a guy comes and he knocks on your door and he says, Hey, I was just walking around the neighborhood and I noticed your, your shrubs could use a little trimming. I want you to know I'm kind of a, a general handyman. I can do whatever you need. I can trim, uh, trim your shrubs. I can, I can paint and I can come in the house. I can do, I'm available to do whatever you need. And then you think, you know what? My wife and I have been wanting to get away 
She's got the next few days off. I've got a couple days off. This is a perfect time to get away. Hey, would you mind keeping our kids? We've got a two, a three, and a five-year-old. Come on in. Um, I, this, is how we'll, this is how we'll work it out financially. There's not a chance you would do that. Why? Because you love your kids. You're going to discriminate. You're going to protect them. So don't believe the folly that we can't discriminate. We must discriminate. We have to. It'd be foolish not to. We just have to make sure that our decisions and our judgments are in accord with the book. So when society calls what the book says is sin, discrimination, then I'm just going to have to be guilty. But where society calls something wrong or something right that the book calls wrong, we, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm staying with the book. I'm going to stay with the book. It is right for us to make judgments based on the book. So exercise biblical discernment and appreciate the beauty of the gospel that Jesus left heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He was nailed to the cross because of our sin and he was buried and he rose again and now those of us with sinful hearts and that's every single person can have our sins washed clean and we can begin a relationship with God. What an incredible and amazing truth. So that's a treasure. That gospel message is a treasure. And we ought, to, we ought to tell others the gospel, but again, with discernment. So if a fellow you've told and you've shared the gospel with him, and every time he just makes a joke of it, makes light of it, and that's happened over and over, there may be a time that you say, God, I'm going to quit throwing the pearls to the swine, and I'm just going to pray for him. But I'm not going to keep taking something so precious as the gospel and throwing it out to be trampled on. No, I'm going to pray for, for him and that, that you would change his heart. Help me to live the kind of life that demonstrates love and, and integrity so that, so that he might one day believe. I read the story uh, of a, a seventh grade boy who had come from an alcoholic home who had little parental support. He was, like many kids, in a, coming from a difficult home life, he didn't give a rip about school. And all along the way, it seemed that they had sort of just passed him on. And he found himself in seventh grade, failing, doing terrible in school, hating school. But he had a teacher named Miss White. And she was bound and determined to help that boy make a change. And so she started pushing him to do better. She started challenging him. She was so hard on him. She told him, you have got to quit failing. You've got to quit having that mindset. And that boy began to excel in school, and he began to try. In fact, his life completely changed in regards to his education. He went on to graduate from high school. He joined the Navy, got married, had a family, got into college, graduated magna cum laude, finished his naval career, and then went into education himself and began teaching at a college. Now, this is a picture of good judgment, of how good judgment and how love work together. Let me explain. If the teacher hadn't pushed him to excel and said, this is not okay, it's not okay to fail, that's good judgment, he likely would have continued on in that direction. But if the teacher hadn't shown him that she genuinely cared for him, that she valued him, that she wanted something better for him, he likely wouldn't have listened. And there's a picture of, of godly discernment. We say the truth, but we do it with the right heart. 
with a tender heart, a merciful heart that longs to help and not hurt. Oh, we need believers like this, not believers who just say, I'm going to mind my own business. I'm going to stay out of it. If he wants to fail, that's his thing. No, but believers who are engaged in, in the lives of others for the good, uh, of, the, uh, for, for the good of others, for the, the glory uh, of God. So we should be loving and wise in our judgment. We shouldn't have a critical spirit. We should get our own hearts right, and we ought to exercise biblical discernment as we make decisions. I wonder this morning, do you find yourself awfully critical with, uh, of others? Do you find yourself always noticing how other people, their shortcomings? If that's you this morning, you know, you know what? It's probably a time to look in the mirror. It's probably a time to say to the Lord, would you search my heart? And I'm convinced, myself included, there's not a soul here today who doesn't need to do that who doesn't need to say to the Lord, would you search my heart? Because there's probably some places I'm walking around like this, Lord. I want, to, I want that taken care of so I can help my brothers, so I can be a benefit, so I can exercise good biblical discernment in a way that pleases and honors you. So ask him for help. Some of you today are going to hear the gospel message that I just preached. And I fear that you're going to trample over it like the pigs that are envisioned here. This is what I mean. Maybe you've heard the gospel before that you could turn from your sin and believe and, and come to know Jesus. You've heard that message before, but you've never responded. And this morning, there's a chance that you're going to do the very same thing. You're going to allow the truths of the gospel to just fall, and you're going to trample right over them. I'm pleading with you today, do not do that. Friend, if you're here and there's never been a turning point in your life, if there's never been that time in your life where you've said to Jesus, I'm turning from my sin and I'm going to become a follower of yours. If that's never happened, today could be the day. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing. I'll be here. Brother Ralph would be here and we would love to tell you more about how to know Jesus. When we stand, you just make your way to the front and we'll, we'll talk with you more. You can come to know Jesus today. There is a danger, friend, that you'll trample over the beautiful truths of the gospel. And making that mistake is an eternal mistake. I plead with you today, don't do that. Let's pray together.